scripture lesson today is taken from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may, mature, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. hear me? It's good. Excellent. So uh, last month we finished our uh, sermon series on becoming like Jesus. And in this particular sermon series, we were encouraged to become more and more like Jesus in our suffering, obedience, speech, humility, love, integrity, compassion, and even in resisting temptations. This day is a special day for two reasons. Because number one, we start a new sermon series today, and uh, I would like to introduce that sermon series by talking to you about the second reason why this day is special, and Glenn talked about it, because it's Canada Day. So happy Canada Day. It's uh, great to be citizens and residents of this beautiful country in which we live. Um, so i I'd just like to ask some trivia questions to like test your citizenship knowledge, okay? And all, yeah, okay, so... What year was Confederation year? What year did uh, Canada become a country of its own? Do you guys remember? 1867. That's right. That was 151 years ago today. What provinces comprised Canada during the Confederation in 1867? Do you guys remember? There's four of them. There's Ontario, Quebec, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick. That's right. When did uh, Manitoba become part of the Confederation? Do you guys remember? 1870. I, I, I hear Doug and, and Bob. Like it's, it's crazy. Okay? So, but it's interesting because we became a country in 1867, but the international community, even citizens of Canada, did not perceive Canada as a country of its own. Like, there's this thing that we always lived, you know, for a few years after 1867, under the shadow of our parents, Great Britain, right? But there was one defining moment, arguably, in Canadian history that switched all that, that cemented Canada as a country of its own. It was in France, it was in the First World War in 1917, when the Canadians won or were victorious at the battle at Vimy Ridge. Do you guys remember that? The battle at Vimy Ridge was significant for many reasons. Number one, Vimy Ridge was a very important stronghold that the Allies had to capture. Neither France nor Great Britain could do it. But Canada did. Can Canadian soldiers stormed and overrun the German front lines on Hill 145. And this was the significant hill on Vimy Ridge that they had to capture. And it was so significant because all four Canadian Army uh, divisions first fought as a unit during this battle. And it was here that Canadians have cemented their reputation as a formidable fighting force and as a nation of its own. And uh, it's interesting because the French government in 1922 gave Canada 
that piece of land in France. Uh, the Vimy Monument was established by the Canadian government on Hill 145. This is, th this right here is Vimy Ridge. Uh, the stronghold that the Canadians captured was on that monument. That's a piece of Canada in France. And it's so significant that the victory, the triumph that Canada uh, achieved on that day, cemented and defined Canada as a nation. So what am I trying to say here? That triumphing over that adversity, in this case, a battle with enemies, uh, helped form Canada what it is today. Our new sermon series that we're starting this morning has a lot to do with adversity, with trials, with challenges. And this morning, as we introduce our uh, sermon series, Overcoming Daily Challenges, it is our third quarter sermon series, July, August, and September. The objective for this is to really acknowledge that all of us here have challenges of our own every day. It might seem trivial to some. It might seem trivial to, to us. But these challenges wage a war inside of our hearts, inside of our minds, in our souls, every single day. And the main objective of this sermon series is to encourage all of us that yes, we can overcome them. We can overcome them. The first lesson in this series is today. And our, our lesson today is going to give us the key to overcoming our daily challenges. And this key is going to be this, that we need to view trials and consider them pure joy. Consider them pure joy. This is the key to overcoming our daily challenges. Now, our problems and our difficulties in life seem like a tall mountain range that we can't scale. I don't know if you've been to the mountains in Alberta. You stand by the foot and you look up and it's so vast that it's like, there's no way I'm going to go over that. Sometimes our problems seem like that. But what I'm going to do today, what we're going to do today, our objective today is going to be simple. We are going to ask, answer the question, one simple question, why should I consider my trials pure joy? What's the point? Why? Our scripture reading today in James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4 give us the answer. James tells us why we need to consider our trials as pure joy. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning beginning in verse 2. In verse 2, James talks about trials of many kinds in that it is certain that we will experience it notice that he said whenever he didn't say guys if you experience trials of many kind he didn't say that he said when you experience this it's a certainty of life we all understand that we can all relate to that all of us i dare to say all of us have problems today we all face trials today. As we speak, we have them today. But uh, one of the things that uh, we need to keep in mind is that um, these trials form uh, comes in many various forms. Right? Like what forms do they come in? We can all relate to this. As I said, we all experience this. 
We have problems. We have pressures. We have difficulties. We have difficult situations, difficult decisions that we have to make. We have relationship problems with our spouses, with our relatives, with our in-laws, with our parents, with our children, with our co-workers, with the people that we work with, with the people that we go to school with, with our neighbors. We have uh, we have things that we have to do, but we don't want to do them. We're faced with so many difficult dilemmas in life. Maybe sometimes we face the trials that we have are financial. We don't have enough to feed our kids or send our kids to the school that we want to send them to. Maybe we don't have a job. Maybe it's grieving the loss of a loved one. Whatever form they take, we experience them. So what? What now? One of the things that we need to really understand is it's a certainty. And Jesus tells us, and the apostles tell us that it's, yeah, it's a certainty. They share that sentiment. Look at John 16:33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. That's a fact. In the world you, may, you will have tribulation. Jesus didn't say, in the world you could have tribulation. He said, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The apostles share the same uh, sentiment, like we said earlier, Acts 14 to 122. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. These things are a certainty of life. Now, what does James want us to do with these trials that we face on a daily basis. This is what he wants us to do. He wants us to consider it pure joy. And before we get there, sometimes our troubles, sometimes our troubles don't become better. They become worse even before they become better. And in that case, we can relate to what David prayed in this particular Psalm 25 verse 17. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. That is our prayer as well. But going back to what I was saying before, what does James want us to do with these trials that seem to become bigger and bigger as we go? Well, consider them pure joy. You're probably thinking, well, wait, what? That doesn't sound right. So do not confuse or misunderstand this passage here. James did not say... When you face trials, when you don't have money, when you can't feed your kids, when your relatives or loved ones are sick, James did not say, be happy. There's, that's two different things. Joy and happiness are two different things. They're very well related to each other, but they're two different things. See, happiness is an emotion. It's a feeling, just like sadness. And it's good to experience them when the situation calls for it. Like, for example, if somebody dies, we feel sad. If somebody is born, if a child is born, we're happy. It's okay. What's not okay is if we're happy when somebody dies. That doesn't make sense. Or we're sad when somebody's born. That doesn't make sense. Emotions are okay. Because that's how we are made. But this is the deal. We can be hurting or in pain physically. We can be very frustrated. 
We can experience all of the emotions that one can experience and still, at the same time, be truly joyful. Be truly joyful. Okay? Um, it, is, uh, it, is, it is an amazing thing. Like, uh, uh, this thing called joy. Because, like I said earlier, it's not an emotion. It is an action that we decide to do. Not like happiness or anger or frustration or being upset. It's a fleeting emotion. The first lesson this morning is this. When we face trials of many kinds, the first thing that we Christians should do is to face it head on with the attitude of pure joy. If we seek to be followers of God, if we seek to be disciples of the one true living God, we need to live by faith. And if we are to live by faith, we need to rejoice in every circumstance, including our problems. We're going to answer that question further, uh, further on uh, as, as we go. But why do we, why do we, uh, the question that we asked earlier is, why should I look at trials and consider them pure joy? Well, the answer is in verse 3. Verse 3. Trials, the purpose of our trials is to test our faith. The purpose of our trials is to test our faith. First Peter 1 Peter 1.6-7 In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That's what we were talking about. The disciples and the Christians back then were experiencing it. And Peter acknowledged that. But look at verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So why must I rejoice in my suffering, in my problems, in my trials? Because my faith is being perfected. And perfected faith praises and honors and glorifies my Lord in due time. That is the reason why. There is a point to our suffering. In our suffering, we glorify God. Do you remember Job? Okay. Before we read this, Job was interesting. His case was interesting in the Old Testament. We're talking about overcoming daily challenges. Job's challenge pretty much happened, you know, in a 24-hour span. Okay? This is what happened to Job. God allowed Satan to test Job's faith. Okay? Now, in one, in a matter of hours, it seems, when you read it in Job chapter 1, Job lost all of his possessions, his oxen, his sheep, his cattle, or his, uh, his camels, and all of his servants. And then he lost all of his children. They all died. All ten of his children, seven sons and three daughters. Can you imagine losing a child? Job lost ten, all at the same time. This was his response. Job 1, 20, 22. 
At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Remember we said earlier that we can be completely joyous in our hearts and feel all sorts of emotions inside? Job was distraught because of his loss. He got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. He was in mourning. But the joy in his heart led him to fall to the ground and worship. If he did not have joy in his heart, you know what he would have done? This is what I would have done. I would have, I would have said, forget you, God. You do this to me in one day. But because he had joy in his heart, he looked at his trials as pure joy. You see that? And he worshipped God. And in verse 22 it said, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Amazing, isn't it? And then later on, in Job chapter 7, verse 17 to 18, Job says, What is man that you, God, make so much of him, that you set your heart on him, visit him every morning, and test him every, every moment? Sometimes it feels like our life is a test all the time, right? Because it is. It is. God seeks to work in us. This is what, what, we, what we mean when we say, God has a work in you. God is perfecting you and me through the things that He gives us in life. What is man that you make so much of him? Why does God do that? Why does God test us so much? Well, James in our text today gives us the answer. So trials, the purpose of trials is to test our faith so that we will persevere. So we will persevere. Romans 5, 3-5 And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I love the language that uh, Paul used here, the Apostle Paul used here when he wrote to to the Roman church. He said tribulations. He just didn't put problems or difficulties or trials. He said tribulations. It is a stronger word. It is like suffering greatly. Great suffering. So great suffering produces perseverance. See, perseverance is endurance. It's not throwing our hands up in the air the first time we experience discomfort or pain or problem. It is patiently enduring the test. It is telling God, Lord, this is happening. Please be with me right now. As I go through, as I fight my cancer, as I go through my relationship woes, as I have this problem with people at work, as I have this problem with my children. Perseverance is resilience. Resilience is being able to withstand opposing force. 
It is being able to get up when you fall down. That is perseverance. When we do that, we will build character. Do you guys know people who give up easily? Do you know people who become angry easily? Do you know people who complain a lot? It is perhaps because these individuals have not allowed their tribulations or their trials to perfect their endurance and their character. One of the things that God wants our character to have is this thing called patience. I've heard people before say, well, I am reluctant to ask God for patience. Do you know why? Because when God says, okay, I'll give you patience, do you know how God gives us patience? He gives us problems. He puts us in situations where we can perfect our patience. See, patience is not developed on holidays when we sit down in front of a beach and reading a book. You don't need to be patient there. Patience is developed when bad things happen. When people annoy us to the core. And when we go through that, we develop our character. Now, when bad things happen in our lives, when really, really bad things happen in our lives, like for example, when our lives are at stake, that is when really we turn quickly to God and say, God, I realize that I have nothing in this world but you. It is when we realize that my efforts, it doesn't matter how awesome I am at things, amount to nothing when I'm faced with the, uh, the possibility that I'm, I'm probably going to die. And this turns us to hope. Isn't that an amazing thing? God does things to our lives so that they can, he can turn our neck all the way up back to him. Why do we rejoice when we have problems? This alone to me is reason enough so I can turn right back to him and say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. God gives us so many gifts. He gives us the church. He gives us forgiveness. You know, we can ask God for forgiveness anytime we want. And one of the things that God gives us as a gift is hope. And it's free. And we don't use it a lot. We stew and marinate in our problems. And we don't think about the hope that God has given us. Because when we look at our hope, all of our problems seem to be like this big. It doesn't matter if I die in this world today at 11.05 in the morning. It's okay. You know why? Because I have hope. I'm going to see my father in heaven. I don't have to wake up early in the morning to go to work. I don't have to think about getting vaccines for my kids because they cry and they fill the whole clinic with their cries. 
hope. Why should I be grateful and rejoice when I have problems in my life? Because I go back to God. I love this quote. Before I read it, I know you already read it. Many of the things that we do in life, many of the trials that we face in life, is because of our own doing. We're sinners. We make mistakes. Right? We make mistakes. Uh, We make bad decisions. We all want to make good decisions, but we make bad decisions. This brings me to the story that I heard about this young man who went up to his parents and asked, Mom, Dad, as I, go to, as I finish university, what piece of advice should, would you give me so that I would be successful in life? His mother and father looked at each other, smiling, and the mother chimes in, Two words, son, good decisions. And the son, wait, wait, wait. wait. How do I make good decisions? How do I get there to the point that I can make good decisions? The father smiles and says, son, one word, experience. And the, fa- and, and, and the son uh, presses the parents, okay, guys, how do I get experience? The mother and the father look at each other, smiles again, and at the same time says, son, two words, <laughs> bad decisions. Sometimes we have to make the bad decisions ourselves. That's what the father did and allowed the prodigal son to make the mistakes that he had to make so that he can learn from that mistake. But the key is learning. We need to learn. Robert Allen says, there is no failure, only feedback. If we view our mistakes as failures, we will not learn. But if we view them as feedback, if we view our mistakes as things that we can learn from so that we can move forward and not make the same mistake again and improve our lot in life, then we will be better, not bitter. Right? Now, the question that we asked in the beginning was this. Why should I look at trials as pure joy? Trials serve to test our faith, and the testing of our faith produces perseverance. And this work is finished when we reach maturity and completeness. All of us grow up. Sorry, all of us, all of us grow old. That's what I wanted to say. But not all of us grow up. I'm going to say that again because I messed it up the first time. All of us grow old, but not all of us grow up. Growing old is a physical imperative. We do it. It We we can lie down on the couch all day, all night, and we're going to grow old. But growing up is a decision that we need to all make. And we will do that if we will only learn. That's the only time we we will grow up is when we look at all of our trials, all of the bad things that are happening in our lives, and say, I'm going to grow. I'm going to take this and run with it. I'm going to endure. I'm going to look to Jesus, 
and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep on keeping on. One of the things that's uh, important to, to keep in mind is that, you know, if, if you look at analogies of this, we see a student. When you say a student, the first thing that comes to my mind, I don't know about you, is exams, projects, assignments. When a student goes to school and refuses to write the exam or submit an assignment, what happens? They fail. They don't go to the next level. They do not grow in their academic career. It's the same thing with us as Christians. When at the first sight of somebody annoying us, go, oh, I'm not going to deal with this, there goes our opportunity to develop patience. And we do not advance to the next level. You see that? We need to be willing for our faith to be tested. Strength does not come without suffering. When somebody says, I'm a weightlifter, what comes to mind? Well, what can you lift? Right? What, what force are you able to withstand if you're a weightlifter? You go to a contest as a weightlifter, you have to lift weights. Right? You're going to sit down there and show your, ar- show your arms. You have to actually lift weights. It's the same thing in our faith. We need to exercise this. We need to exercise our faith. Um, Let's look at this verse. Isaiah 48, verse 10. God tells his people, the Israelites, this. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. What is this furnace of affliction that God, through Isaiah, was talking about? We've all been there. We are in there right now. It's like God is a refiner's fire. Have you heard that expression before? Refiner's fire? Look at Malachi chapter 3 verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. See, God is a refiner's fire. He gives us trials so that our imperfections can melt away. It's like silver being refined. See, God is not a forest fire. Have you guys seen a forest fire? I have seen it up close in front of me. And forest fires do not discriminate. They don't go, oh, that's a nice house. I'm not going to burn that. I'm only going to burn the bad houses. The bad houses that don't have like good proper coating. Forest fires don't do that. They burn everything. But a refiner's fire, it knows what it's doing. It takes away the dross and the impurities of a metal, of silver. I leave you with this one, uh, one analogy. I heard of a silversmith who, asked, who was asked the question. A silversmith is one who works in, in, in silver, in silver articles. The silversmith was asked, how do you know? When you're refining a metal, when you have it under fire and it's melting away, how do you know that that silver is ready? How do you know that that silver is fully purified? The silversmith smiles and answers back, that's the easy part. I know that the silver is ready and is perfectly purified 
when I can see clearly my image reflected on the silver. Do you see that? Why should I rejoice when I'm faced with many different trials? Because God wants to perfect me and He wants us to look like Him. He wants us to become more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ. Today, if you are overwhelmed with your trials and it seems like they are winning and you're not, there is hope. If you would like, you can come forward and we can pray for you today. And if you want to put on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today in the waters of baptism, please stand. Please come forward and let's stand as we sing the song of invitation.